us. Thank you, brother. Well, we got some feedback here. Are we good? That's better. Very happy to be with you this morning. And uh, I travel a lot. I actually just got back from Africa last Monday. Uh, it was 39 degrees. And I come back to two weeks of this, and then it's Orlando for a week. And I, and I am on the road a lot with what I'm doing. And, and one of the reasons that I'm on the road a lot is to connect with our churches. Um, I suppose I should tell you right at the start that there's a sense in which whatever you're doing in your life, you need to think it's the most important thing in the world. If you don't, you better find what it is and do it. I found it. I seem to have found it in my life in different ways. I've had a very uh, diverse background in my life. I actually finished my undergraduate studies in uh, medicine. And then I woke up one May morning and, and God took uh, the desire right out of my heart. I, from, from the sixth grade, I just wanted to be a doctor. That's all I wanted to do. And, uh, and then to wake up on a May morning and, and, it, and, and, and lose that. Lose that sense of identity and that sense of calling and mission in your life. And I floundered so badly. And uh, I, was, I was quite good at math. And so my mom said, well, uh, you're not going to live at home and be uh, a freeloader. You need to either get a job or go to school. So she said they're hiring uh, articling students for chartered accounting. I thought, you know, why not? So I started in it, and uh, I got hired to the firm uh, with another lady who taught me uh, probability and statistics at, in, at university. We got hired together. So it's a four-year program. I, I got into it, and two years in, I go, this is the worst thing in the world. I hate this. Contrary to anybody's opinion, I have a personality, and I'm not going to be a good accountant. But I'm stubborn like crazy. So I finished it and uh, wrote my uniform final exams, 16-hour exam, and uh, passed, phoned my dad, and he's so excited and happy. He says, now what? And I said, I'm quitting. <laughs> Click. Yeah. So I prayed for two years. I said, God, get me out of here. Rescue me. Deliver me. Save me again. And then in the first Sunday of January, uh, 1990, I had a four-day, night-and-day battle with God. And God began over those four days to cut into my heart and into my life. And he used that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He began to talk to me about what I was building of my life. And I fought. And we had a, we had a, I got saved at an evangelist by the name of David Wilkerson. How many of you remember David Wilkerson? In a hockey rink, which is a great place for me to get saved. And I remember that when I was 11 years old. And then... God's always seemed to use evangelists in my life. And then there's an evangelist by the name of Barry Moore. 
who came to Winnipeg, and I was working at the accounting firm. And over those four days, Barry was preaching, and every night I would go because I was taught when there's church, you go. That's just the deal. But I fought with God, and he was calling me and pulling and pulling and pulling on my heart. And I fought, and I said, I am not going. I didn't know why I was supposed to go. I just knew it was going to cost me everything. And I fought and fought and fought and fought. I was going to a Pentecostal church, Calvary Temple. Uh, Pastor H.H. Barber was there. I ended up working for him for a little while. But on the Sunday after the morning service, Barry was preaching at night. And I said, if I go tonight, I have to respond to God's call. I don't want to. And so I'm going to hedge my bets. And I had two very close friends who were Baptists who never in their life had darkened the door of a Pentecostal church. So I said, I'm going to phone Wes and Glenn and ask them. And if they say they'll go to church with me tonight, I'll go and I'll respond. Full confidence in my heart. They're going to say, not a chance. And I phoned up Wes and I go, listen, there's a service at church, an evangelist, the Pentecostal. Do you guys want to go to church with me? Oh, we'd love to go. (laughs) And really, it was at that moment that my heart began to break. And I went to church, and and Calvary Temple is a big building. It seats about, at that point, seated close to 2,000 people. And I sat where the organ was on this side, right on the aisle, intentionally, because I know what's going to happen that night. And every night, literally, 200 people respond to the gospel. 200. And I'm waiting for the end of the show. I have no idea what Barry preached on that night. No idea. But I just, God begins to pull and to call and to call and to call. And I'm waiting for the altar call. So he finishes preaching. The organ's playing. We had an organ back then. That, I, I won't explain what that is. But I'm sitting there and going, I'm not going to be the first one up there. So I'm going to wait. And I'm, I thought I waited 10 minutes. And then with my head down, I slipped out. I walked to the front with the altar. And I finally look up, and literally, there's me and Barry Moore and 1,800 people behind me. And in that moment, God did so many things. He convicted me of sin in my heart, attitudes things that were in my life. He broke me. And at the very same time, poured out his love and his glory and baptized me in the Holy Spirit. I'm a Mennonite kid, right? Like that, you don't see that in the Mennonite church very often. And he called me to ministry. And this guy walks up to me. He was about this tall and about this wide. In fact, he used to be the runner-up heavyweight boxing champion in Canada. He fought George Shavalo, who went on to fight Ali. His name is Peter Piper. And Peter said, I was sleeping at home this afternoon, and God woke me up and showed me your face and said, Peter, you need to go pray for him this afternoon. So he walked right up to me, and he said, God's got something for you. So 
I believe in the dynamic of an encounter with God. I've experienced it enough in my life to know that. But one of the things that's become so real to me is that God wants to make that dynamic encounter with Him a very regular part of our life through His Word. And I try and teach my students. I should probably talk about the school for a little bit before I start preaching here. So we have 230 on-campus students and about another 60 uh, online. And, and God's doing great things at our college. And, uh, and I'm watching young people be possessed by the Spirit of God and called to ministry. All kinds of dynamic ministry and missions and parachurch ministry and having a real clear sense of calling in their life. And I love that. You know that every graduating class that graduates from our Bible college, we have the opportunity to influence the church for the next 40 years in their life. Like, do you think what we're doing is important? Yeah, you know what's going to happen in our culture? And I have to tell our students this all the time. You know, you think you're going to go and get a nice ministry job and be able to worship every Sunday. And, you know, pastors only work on Sunday anyway. So, you know, it's a really easy life. But you know there is a day coming in our culture. There is a day coming if you follow the trajectory of history and you extrapolate the movements in sociology and culture. You know there is a day coming in the church in Canada where pastors will be prosecuted for their faith. And they will end up in prison. Like you know that day is coming. And I have to prepare our students for that. And the only way you're going to survive that is to be grounded in the Word of God. And to believe that it is a power of God. And that it is worth giving your life for Jesus. This is no nice message that we share. This is no innocuous occupation that I have. That day is coming. Okay, I get a little excited about this. So, so I want to thank you as a church, as a pastor, for supporting us. There are about 100 congregations of PUC in the Alberta Territory. 29 of them support us. 71 do not. That's a problem. But that's God's problem, really. That's God's problem. We are a vibrant and dynamic ministry of this district. And we're getting better all the time. We're totally revamping our program. Because the goal that I have is that our students, when they graduate, I don't care what program you're in, Children and family, worship studies, youth, missions, or pastoral leadership. And those are our five dynamic programs. I don't care what program you're in, but when you graduate Vanguard College, you're going to be an expert in your Bible. You're going to know it from front to back. You're going to understand it. You're going to be able to read it and interpret it, and you're going to be able to communicate it. But more than that, when you come to Vanguard, you're going to experience the transforming power of the Word of God. And if I get to 1 Thessalonians 2.13 today, that's kind of what I want to talk about. So thank you for supporting us. 
Honestly, thank you from my heart. You're investing in the lives of our students. I don't want our pastors graduating from Vanguard with $40,000 in debt. Do you? Do you want them being able to go pastor in rural churches where they're going to make 35000 bucks a year and to have $40,000 in debt and to have to support a family and pay a mortgage and live their life? No way. We have to subsidize their education. It costs, in every college in Canada, it costs about $17,000 a year to educate a student. They pay about seven to eight. Where does the money come from? So the board looks at the president and says, comes from you, buddy. It comes from the churches. It comes from, but it's kind of your responsibility. So I'm a pastor. I'm just a simple pastor. That's all I am. I'm not a fundraiser. I thank God for my predecessor, Steve Herzog. I mean, he can raise money from Mennonites. That's how good he is. <laughs> but I have to trust God. This is a faith venture for me. God, you have to help me. Every day at 6 o'clock, sometimes 5 o'clock, I'm in my lazy boy beside my gas fireplace with the light on, pleading with God, oh God, don't let me fail. Literally. God, you have to help me. This is too much for me. I cannot do this. My own life is in enough mess. And I'm trying to become more and more like Jesus, and that in itself is a full-time job for me. And then there's this college that's so vital to you. And so this is why we really need our churches of our district to really come alongside of us. Because when you're investing in Vanguard College, you're investing in the future of the church and all that God wants to do. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me today. And, and for, for making Vanguard part of your church's mission. We're, we're just so grateful for that. So pray for us. Our students actually, when they graduate, they really don't know what it's going to be like to be in pastoral ministry. Like we lose pastors all the time. Leave churches. Get tripped up morally. Because they're a target of the enemy. Now, the truth is that if you're in ministry and it's easy for you and you don't face struggles, I just guarantee you one thing. You are totally ineffective as a minister of the gospel. You're totally ineffective. So I'd worry if life was easy for you in the ministry. I'd be very worried. And if I get to the end of where I'm going to go today, I would also say that about the gospel and every person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And every church that claims to be a proponent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That if you're not experiencing the transforming power of the gospel in your life, I don't know where you're at, but you are under some lie and delusion. You are. Do you know how many Christians there are that struggle with online addictions, gambling, pornography? Do you know how many marriages are being assaulted and falling apart? Do you know how many Christians are pursuing wealth under the guise of blessing? Do you know how many Christians struggle because God is not real to them? And how many young people are asking, is Jesus real? 
Well, they're not under the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel leads us to transforming power. It convicts us of sin deeply. So, so I, have a, I have a task to teach our students and, and hopefully to communicate to Christians to whom I minister that this gospel is a wonderfully powerful message. But, but it is something in particular. And when Christians take an element of the gospel and exalt it above the whole, they become instant heretics. Instant heretics. So you could exalt the blessing of God over and above the whole. And we have that to a degree with the prosperity gospel. It exalts a part over and above the whole. It's heresy. You can even do that with the love of God. If you exalt the love of God above the whole, to the neglect of the whole, you become a heretic. Now, one of the, one of the words that, I, I like this word a lot, but it's become a buzzword and it's taking on an exalted status, and that's the word transparency. Right? You've heard that in Christian circles. We need to be transparent. <coughs> so, I talk too much sometimes. I actually am an introvert. When I've had too much of people, I just retreat. And, then, and my wife doesn't know where I am, and nobody knows where I am, and I'm all by myself. So, I'm an introvert. Transparency. We need to be real with each other, and we do. We need to confess our sins to each other, and we do. But transparency is taking on an identity of its own and exalting itself above the gospel because really God doesn't call us to be transparent about our sin. God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be victorious over our sin. And sometimes there's a therapeutic benefit to being transparent with each other. And, you know, you have a guy, and this is, this is not a bad thing. Okay, get, don't get me wrong here. Guys confiding in each other, they struggle with pornography online. Now, that's a reality of the world in which we live. That is a reality in our church and in our youth groups. Am I right? Of course I am. It's, it's a reality among our students in the Bible college. It's a reality among pastors in our district. Okay, I'm not letting the cat out of the bag here, am I? Like, that's just reality. It's a struggle, it's a fight, it's a battle. But it's not enough to sit down in a small group and begin to confess your sins and be transparent. That's good. But the goal is godliness and holiness. The, God, the, the, the goal is righteousness. The goal is to experience the transforming power of the gospel. So with that, that's probably a good launching point into 1 Thessalonians 2.13. So if you have it, you can put it up. Look at it in your Bible. I hope you bring your Bible to church. Not a bad place to bring your Bible. I tell my students, you know, God saves you from a lot of things, but devouring his word is not one of them. If you're not devouring the word of God, if it is not 
the primary, fundamental, most significant voice in your life, you're going to experience dysfunction in your life. You will experience grief and adversity and stress and conflict and anxiety. You will fail in your life. You will struggle in sin. Those are just givens. And so many Christians don't take it seriously. You know, when the old-time preacher said you're supposed to pray and read your Bible, they actually knew exactly what they were talking about. So, good, 1995 NASB. There was an earlier one, 1977, but we won't read it for now. For this reason, okay, so when you read that, now most of the time in your devotions, you'll go for this reason, then you'll go on to the rest of the verse. And it's almost like that phrase in itself is a preposition, like the word to or therefore, or for this reason. But, but when it says for this reason, what's the question you need to ask yourself? What is the reason? Good. So that's why, that's why you have language. It's supposed to inspire inquisition and curiosity in you. And that's the way you're supposed to read your Bible all the time. For this reason. Well, well what reason? Now, in order to answer the question, for what reason, of course, you have to read, actually, all of 1 Thessalonians. And you'll have to read it more than once. So when you're reading and you all of a sudden come across something that tugs at your heart, spend time, months if you have to, in that book. Last year, for three weeks, four weeks, I was led to read Romans at least once or twice every day. 16 chapters, over and over and over and over again. Now, I have 28 commentaries just on the book of Romans. But I didn't spend any time in them. And God brought a vitality out of the book of Romans to my heart that I'd never experienced before in my life. And as I'm preparing to come, I know I want to talk about this verse. When am I supposed to be done? Like 12? I can be. Are you normally done about 12, 5, 10 after? We're okay? Okay. I don't want to keep you too long. I want to honor your time. So I'm, I'm reading 1 Thessalonians over and over again. And then I find myself, I have to actually go read Acts chapter 16, verse 17, chapter 17, and into chapter 18 a little bit. Because what Paul's talking about here for this reason really is wrapped up in the whole context of his experience with the church at Thessalonica. For this reason, we thank God constantly that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So I like breaking things into threes. Why do pastors do that? Well, we have a triune God, and you can't really go wrong. When, and, and besides, three things is easier to memorize or remember than ten. Although I do have 10 points on Romans 8, but whatever. For this, so there's, there's three parts here. For this reason, that's the first part. For, this, for what reason? That's point number one. Number two, how did they receive the word of God? He's thankfully, when they received the word of God, they accepted it not as the word of men, for, but for what it really is, the word of God. That's the condition of the gospel. That you have to accept it as God speaking to you. And Paul uses the word gospel and word interchangeably. So what's the gospel? Well, if we believe, if we fall under the influence of the four spiritual laws, we'll think the gospel 
is just a series of four things. But it's not. It's this. In its entirety. That's why if you want to know Jesus and be close to him and be changed to the kind of person that Jesus is, this book has to be the regular and substantive diet of your life. And if it's not, you will flounder your whole life and die in immaturity. It's reality. It's just the way it is. So when he says you receive the word of God, he could have said gospel. But he used the word of God. This is God's communication to us. This is why, and we're changing our whole programming. Okay, I'll let the cat out of the bag. I was going to share it at general district conference. But we have to change our programming so that fully 60 credit hours for our students is spent in the word of God itself in biblical and theological studies. And you might say, well, isn't it that way now at Bible college? And sadly, in most Bible colleges in Canada, the answer is no. Leadership studies forms a huge part. Now, now that's good. It's not bad. Leadership studies, general studies, professional preparation forms the larger part of a student's degree at Bible college. Almost all of our colleges in Canada. But it's not going to be the, that way for Vanguard. Vanguard students are going to know their Bible. And they're going to experience in their brokenness when they come, because every one of us goes to Bible college broken. Right? I've been to Bible college twice in seminary once, and I went broken. And I still am. I know my heart. I know it's in me. But I know what healing is. For my heart and my mind and my soul and my psychology. I know what it is. As I know Jesus. And that's the goal of biblical studies. Is Jesus. And, and so we're, we're changing the philosophy of what we're doing at college. That students have to, yes, they have to engage in 45 hours of biblical studies, 15 hours of strong theological studies, but they have to, they have to engage with the with a Bible, with a purpose of transformation. You have to meet Jesus in the classroom. You have to let him touch your life in the classroom. You have to bring your brokenness and let the gospel, because how are you going to be an effective minister? How are you going to say to somebody whose marriage is falling apart, whose child is lost in drug and alcohol addiction, whose son or daughter is living in a life of promiscuity, how are you going to tell them and really communicate to them that Jesus will meet their need. And Jesus is the answer. Unless you yourself experience it. So we're, we're kind of changing the way we're doing things and what we're doing. So don't tell anybody before district conference, okay? Like, <laughs> gag order. All right. Three sections. For this reason. What reason? We'll talk about that. They received the word of God for what it really is. His word, not the word of men. Well, that's a profound conviction that you have every time in the morning you open your Bible. You go, God, God is going to speak to me. God is going to speak to me. God is going to speak to me today. That's so exciting. I don't always like it when God speaks to me because lots of times it hurts. 
but he never hurts without healing. Never. God never hurts without healing. Okay, we need to know that. Thirdly, which also performs its work in you. What? The Word of God. The Word of God performs its work. It is a message of power. So if I don't get to the end of where I'm going today, I'm okay with that. But please remember this. For whatever you're dealing with in your life, whether it's some kind of addiction to substances, and you struggle with it, or pornography, or gambling, or your marriage is in trouble, or you're, 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 you're just in hopelessness and despair about your life. You can't see the future. You don't know what God's going to do for your life. You're lonely and you're desperate. Know this, that the gospel is a word of power. And you surrender yourself to Jesus and you devote yourself to his word. I guarantee you, God will do in exceeding abundance beyond anything that you could ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. Now, if that's not your experience, you're under a lie. You're deceived. And these aren't my words. These are Paul's words. The gospel, the word of God, performs its work in you. So, for this reason, what reason? Well, we'll zip through this really quickly. I don't have time to go to my notes because we'll be here for four days. You know... You know, I'm just so grateful for the Spirit of God. I had to teach on um, Romans 8 in the summer at Heritage Days. It was such an awesome time. And I had 47 pages of notes on Romans 8. And I got to the end of page 1 after one week. But God just reaffirms all the time how rich His Word is. Rich. For this reason. What reason? Because they received the word of God in the midst of suffering and trouble and affliction and persecution. And they accepted Paul and the gospel that he spoke and it rooted and and took root in their heart and it began to grow in them. The beginnings of the church in Thessalonica. That's what's behind for this reason. And if you would go to Acts chapter 16 and chapter 17, you would read again the story of Paul and Philippi. How in the midst of his ministry, there's this little girl who is practicing divination, right? She was owned. She was a slave of two people. And and she would give demonic prophecies over people and they would pay them. That was a big thing there. It doesn't happen so much in Calgary. And then and Paul gets annoyed, and he just delivers, like, be gone. And, and he, they are persecuted. They are beaten. They are whipped. They are not just taken to jail. They are taken to the inner dungeon And they're not just put in a cell, but they're shackled. They are in the darkest hole in all of Philippi. And that's when they begin to do what we ought to do, is praise the Lord. 
your good, good father. Maybe that's the hymn they were singing, and we just picked up on it recently. And all of a sudden, the earthquake and the shackles fall off, and the walls crumble, and the gates open. Hallelujah, what a God. What a picture of life for those who follow Jesus. And, but then they get chased out of Philippi, and they go to Thessaloniki is the Greek, but Thessalonica. And they begin to preach the gospel. And people are responding. We read that in Acts chapter 17. What kind of people are responding? Some Jews, lots of devout Greeks, prominent women. But then the Jews from Philippi come and they begin to cause trouble, all kinds of trouble. They create a mob and an uproar and they're persecuted, they're chased out and they go to Berea. And then when they go to Berea, the Jews from Thessalonica, who resisted Paul and the message of the word of God, follow them there and begin to persecute them there. This is the context of the gospel. This has always been the context of the gospel. Why is the church not growing in Canada? One reason alone, we're not suffering for Jesus' sake. That's not a very attractive message, but that is reality. Oh, but we're getting there. Believe me, we are getting there as a culture where Christians will suffer for being Christians. And it will be a dividing line from those who side with liberal Christianity and those who side with historical, traditional Christianity. And one of those groups is going to suffer because they're not going to compromise the message. That's the reason they thank God. I was going to talk about what kinds of suffering and adversity we face, but I'm not going to do that this morning because we don't have time. But we face cultural and political adversity. Now, more and more in our culture, we're beginning to experience that. We face spiritual adversity. We have an enemy, an adversary. I've seen people demon-possessed and delivered. And the enemy is as real and as at work in Alberta as he is in biblical times in demon possession. But he's just much more sophisticated. He's much more sophisticated. And so we don't have the manifestations all the time. We do sometimes. But the enemy has people possessed by different means. No less sinister nor less effective. It happens today. It's happening in your community. It's happening in your city. It's happening in Edmonton. Political and cultural adversity, spiritual adversity, and then, of course, there's internal adversity. Because in the heart of who I was when I was born lives an enemy of God to this very day. Someone who will fight God, someone who will resist God, and the biggest battle, in fact, the biggest battle that I face is not with cultural or sociological oppression, nor with the enemy, but it is with that old self that still lives here. But what I want to point out to you is that the gospel always works in the culture of adversity. 
That is always, that has always been the culture of the gospel, adversity. I know pastors, Pastor Okot, Pastor Malunga. I know men who have scars on their body where they have been beaten and whipped and tortured for the cause of Christ to this day. And there are many more that I do not know. There are pastors and Christians today who are in prison around the world. They are tormented and tortured in their culture because they're followers of Jesus. But do you know what's happening in places where that's happening to them? The church is exploding. I was in a pastor's church two weeks ago today, Pastor Bada. And he's been to my house in Canada, in Mozambique. In 1994, he started a church with 10 people, and they started praying. And he was sharing with me when I was there two weeks ago, and in in total meekness and humility, because he tells me he's praying for revival. But since 1994, they have planted 100 congregations and have won 45,000 people to Jesus. And I heard no less than 10 stories like that. Do you know POC started the work in Mozambique? Austin Chawner. We're older than they are. POC is older than they are. We have about 225,000 members in 1,100 churches. They have 1.4 million Pentecostal members in 3,700 churches. But they've paid a price to get there. And I think if, we're, if we really want the revival for which we long and pray, we're going to have to pay the price to get there. I don't doubt that. Suffering and adversity is the context of the gospel. And that's the reason they thank God because they accepted and they received the gospel. That's what you would learn if you dug into what is the reason he's thankful. What is the reason? That's it. Secondly, and very quickly, the condition of the gospel. Not the word of men. It wasn't Paul speaking. Yes, it was Paul speaking, but it wasn't Paul speaking. It was God speaking. It was the word of God. And that is the condition under which you must receive the gospel. It is God speaking. When you read your Bible, when you engage with your Bible day by day in your life, you open it under the pretext and conviction that God is going to talk to you. And you surrender your life. And that's why so often Christians, when when they have sin in their life and, and addictions and habits, persistent habits, and it just drags them down and, and mires them in mediocrity, they close their Bible and they put it on the shelf because it's an irrelevant book. You know, they read it and it's like nothing. They may as well read Ted Decker or John Grisham for the impact that it has. But when you come to the Word of God in repentance, in the acknowledgement of what you are before God, and knowing, and this is true for your pastor, it's true for me as the president of Vanguard College, I am no more when I'm preaching, I'm no more 
in front of a class. I'm no more in front of my students. I'm no more in front of a conference. I am no more than what I am on my knees before God. And that's not much. Not much at all. But it is really to that broken, contrite heart that God will begin to disclose himself. And he will open eyes. And he will begin to pour out power into a life. That was, that was a beautiful illustration when Jesus brought the little kids around him. Yeah, you know what? It's not a, I believe in kids' ministry. Believe me, we've got a whole program for it. Vital, vital ministry. But he wasn't teaching us about kids' ministry. He's teaching us about the way to come to Jesus. It was an object lesson for us. Receive the word of God for what it is. His word. Hebrews chapter 1 begins this way and says, God spoke to us in various times and in various measures in the past through his prophets. But in these last days, in these, and that means in the very last communication of God, he has spoken to us, how? Through his son, Jesus. Now, I could talk a long time about this, but I'm not going to. But there is a movement, even in our circles, talking about new revelation. And that scares the pants. Well, not literally, but I am, I, I, I react because there is no other communication other than what God has spoken to us in his word by his son. Nothing else. That's the, that's the condition for for. Receiving the gospel. And with this I'll close. The consequence. How do you know that someone has encountered Jesus truly? And I've alluded to this throughout this morning. So I don't need to spend a lot of time. I've taken enough of your time. And I've given you enough to think about. What is the consequence of having responded to the gospel? What is the consequence? What is the proof that someone has met Jesus? Has truly experienced the gospel? The answer is in the last part. It performs its work in you. It performs its work in you. Do you know that Christianity, at its very core, is a faith built on rest, peace, quietness, passivity almost. Like we hear verses like, don't shine your light, but let your light shine. That's passive verbs. Well, the, the gospel performs its work in you. It's not you killing yourself to please God. There is none of that. We are called to pour our life out for Jesus and to pay the price at all costs, but that's not a work. That is a sacrifice of worship because the true heart of the gospel is that it performs its work in you. And so with this, I'm going to close this morning. Whatever you're praying for, whatever you struggle with in your life, whatever fears or anxieties you have, whatever sins you have over which you want to have victory, I guarantee you, 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you submit yourself to the truth of the gospel, in the humility of brokenness, God will begin to do great and awesome things more than you ever could have imagined. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And it works. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, that they've listened so well and been with me and I've gone over time, but I'm just so excited about Jesus and the gospel. And I know that it, I know that Jesus works. I know that he, he lives today. He communicates to people resurrection power, victory over sin, hope in despair, light in darkness. Maybe someone here today needed to hear that, that there is power in the gospel. And so God, I pray today with faith in my heart that people would begin to experience in a whole new way the very presence of Jesus in their life. The power of the Holy Spirit that you will give them faith to overcome every obstacle in their life. This I pray with thankfulness in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Eric. You receive that word with gladness? Amen. I... Let me give you great confidence in the students that we uh, have going to Vanguard. And uh, I trust it will motivate us even more to pray for Vanguard College. What an incredible opportunity. 230 students there, 60 online, uh, close to 300 students. And, um, and then they've got teams that go out and minister and... Um, Next time, maybe we can have a team come with him, and it'd be an awesome bring a choir. Oh, okay, that's rocket. Yes. And now, if you would like to talk with Eric afterwards, he'll be in the foyer, and he's actually, as I mentioned, heading to Orlando, so he didn't bring with him the display and everything. But if you want him to have some information sent to you, um, by all means, uh, write down your email, whatever. And we weren't happy to pass it on to the right department. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the reminder of the power there is in the gospel. And Lord, we pray that if there's somebody here today who needs to experience that transforming power of the gospel in their life, I encourage you this morning, if that's you, take a moment Just ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and say, Lord, I turn from my sin. I repent. Repent of trying to do life my own way. I ask you to forgive me. Sometimes even as Christians, we're still trying to do it on our own. And we need to ask the Lord to forgive us. We can't do this on our own. 
Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to fill us, empower us. Open our eyes that we might see and understand. We pray your blessing upon Eric, his wife, the entire faculty and team at Vanguard and the student body. We pray, God, as students come from there, we'll see, Lord, the power of the gospel through their lives and their ministries, see lives changed and transformed in this generation. For each person here, Lord, I pray that we will continue to allow the power of the gospel to change our lives. We might be equipped to be the messengers of the gospel that you want us to be. So, Lord, bless your church today, we pray. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up his countenance on you, and give you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. Eric will be in the foyer for a few moments if you want to talk to him. And, and uh, have a great and awesome day.